Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. As always, we appreciate you listening to Bible Crossfire at this same time every week. It's a program where you can call in and ask your Bible question, make your Bible comment. We're going to listen to what you have to say. Uh, A lot of times we agree with what the callers say. Sometimes we don't. Uh, Always, we're going to look to the Bible as the authority. Whatever question or issue is that is brought up, the Bible is going to decide the answer to the issue. Second John verse 9 says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. It's so important that we abide in the teaching of Christ because if we don't, we don't have God. You can't be saved if you don't have God. The only way we can be saved is through the grace and mercy of God. Yet most preachers out there will tell you that you can believe this or that. For example, the preachers will say you can believe that baptism can be sprinkling, and then another preacher will tell you baptism in the Bible was immersion, but it's okay to be sprinkled, that there's nothing, that both answers are right. One preacher will tell you that women preachers are okay. Another preacher will tell you that women preachers are against what God's words say, but both preachers will tell you it's okay to practice what the other one says. (laughs) Two plus two cannot equal four and five at the same time. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed, John eight thirty one, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Only the truth will make us free from sin. We don't have a right to teach the commandments of men because that will make our worship vain, according to Matthew 15, verse 9. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. But yet most churches will preach the commandments of men. I mean, if they're teaching that it's okay to have gay marriage, that's a commandment of men, isn't it? If they're teaching it's okay to sprinkle babies for baptism, that's a commandment of men. How do I know? Because you can't find those things in the Bible. If it's in the Bible, it's from God. That leaves the only other option. If it's not in the Bible, it's not from God. Most churches, most preachers are preaching all kinds of things they can't find in the Bible. The Catholic Church will make you the excuse, well, we know it's not in the Bible, but our church tradition says it. The Bible is the authority on this program. Whatever issue or question is brought up, we're going to try to find what the Bible has to say about it. And I'm going to try to give you a Bible verse for my answer. Now, can I be wrong? Yes, but the Bible is never going to be wrong. So if we give the Bible answer to the question, we're going to be right. Can I misunderstand what the Bible says? Yes. Maybe you can call in and correct me by pointing out a Bible verse that teaches what we're saying is incorrect. You would be my best friend if you did that. Because all we're interested here is the truth. We're interested in the truth, not defending some kind of status quo, but we're interested in the truth. If you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open, so it's a perfect time to call. Give us a call at 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 877-655-6755. While we're waiting on our first call, I thought tonight we would talk about serving Jesus. And I get this concept or idea from a number of passages in the Bible. One such passage is John 12, 26. Here's what Jesus says in John 12, 26. He says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Let's for a moment skip the part about following me. We're going to come back to that. Let's talk about the part of this verse that says, and Jesus is the speaker here. He says, if any man serve me, where I am, there shall also my servant be. 
So if, if we serve Jesus, we're going to be with him. But where? I suggest to you that he's talking about the hereafter, life after death in heaven. It, this compares so well to John 14, 2 and 3, where Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus is in heaven preparing a place for us so that when he comes again, the second coming of Christ, we, he can receive us unto himself so that where he is, we can be also in heaven. That's what John 12, 26 is saying. It says, if you serve Jesus, you'll be in heaven with Jesus. If you serve Jesus, God the Father will honor you. What does that say? Though in the negative, that says if you don't serve Jesus, you won't be with Jesus in heaven. So many preachers teach all you got to do to go to heaven, to be saved, is believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But I want to make an illustration here. Revelation 19.16 says, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, to illustrate, you can believe a king exists, but serving that king is another matter. For example, in 1776, the 13 colonies in the United States, well, it wasn't the United States then, they were under the rule of England, the 13 colonies believed the king of England existed, but they didn't want to serve the king of England. You see, they believed the king existed, but they didn't want to serve the king. So it's very possible to believe King Jesus exists, but not want to serve King Jesus. And we see that John 12, 26 requires us to serve him in order to be in heaven with him in the afterlife. You see that? So it, you have to do more than just believe that King Jesus exists. You have to serve the King Jesus. And that's what most people want to leave out. All you got to do is accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. No, you have to accept him as your personal Savior and you have to serve him as your personal Savior. Not just believe in him, but serve him. It takes both to be pleasing to God and be saved, to go to heaven. John from Minnesota, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi, thanks for taking my call. My question is this, in, in the Bible, and I, I, I don't have my Bible in front of me, I'm on the road, but uh, it says, if you commit certain sins, uh, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I believe in forgiveness of sins, um, but it seems pretty straightforward that what the Bible says about not inheriting the kingdom of God. So if you committed those sins, how can you be sure that you're going to inherit the kingdom of God? Okay. And I'll, I will I'll read one of those passages. Okay, John, you can hang on the line or you can go off. I'm going I'm to respond to your question. If you want to hang on, I'll give you a chance to follow up, okay? Okay. But but a passage that mentions that, I, I, a very famous one, is 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. It says, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So it begins that way. And then it gives a list of sins, just like you said. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. Uh, uh, the New King James there says homosexuals, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. The New King James there says sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So how can these people inherit the kingdom of God? They're not as long as they remain in that sin. Let me give you an example, John. This says drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. But suppose a guy who's an alcoholic, a drunkard, repents. He changes and says, I'm not going to drink anymore, and he gets forgiveness from God. He's not really a drunkard anymore, is he, John? No. 
No, he's not a drunkard anymore. He's repented. He's quit drinking. So this verse doesn't apply to him anymore. The the drunkard will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the guy who's quit drinking is not a drunkard anymore. He's He's gotten forgiveness from God. Therefore, he's not a drunkard. He's got forgiveness. So he will inherit the kingdom of God, all other things being equal. You see what I mean, John? I do. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. Thank you for your call. Now, one thing we might mention that a person to be repent and be forgiven, talking to some believers in Acts 2.38, Peter's talking to some believers. He says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. So a person who wants to become a Christian initially has to repent. A believer has to repent and be baptized to get forgiven of his sins. Like if he's a drunkard or a homosexual, people ask, can you be forgiven of homosexuality? Yes, if you're willing to repent and get forgiveness. To become a Christian, you repent and you get baptized and you're forgiven for all your sins. After you become a Christian, you commit a sin. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in each case, repentance is always required in order to be forgiven. For the person becoming a Christian, for the Christian who sins, repentance is always required. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So a person who's in sin, like a homosexual or a drunkard, and he refuses to repent, he's not going to inherit the kingdom of God. He's not going to be forgiven. It's just that simple. Michael from South Carolina, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Uh, yes, sir. My oldest son had a question. Today. We, we discussed it for a little while and just wanted to see what you would say to this question. Uh, what judgment, if any, will a true believer in Christ, someone who is truly in Christ, experience on that day? And I'll, I'll hang up and, and hear your answer off uh, on the air. Okay. Thank you for your call, Michael. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, we read, and this is talking about the judgment day. And I saw a great white throne scene, him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of the things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so every man in all the passages on the judgment day are consistent on this. Every single person is going to have to face God in judgment. And we're going to be judged based upon our works. They're going to be compared to what's written in the books. I take it from other passages. Other passages say... We're going to be judged according to the gospel. John 12, 48 says we're going to be judged according to Jesus' word. So this is talking about the books of the Bible. What we do in this life is going to be compared to what the Bible says. And that only makes sense. The Bible is where God tells us what he wants us to do to please him. On the judgment day, every person, believer and non-believer, is going to be judged based upon what they did according to the Bible. It's that simple. Now, there is a little bit of a short circuit here for the non-Christian. The non-Christian says whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. It's not going to be, it's going to be pretty quick for him. He's not in the book of life. He's going to be cast into the lake of fire. Then that leaves the believers, the Christians who are in the book of life, they're going to be judged based upon their works. So we're all going to be judged fairly. There's not going to be any favoritism. Everybody's going to be judged according to their works, according to about 10 or 12 passages in the Bible, including Revelation 20, 11 through 15, which is one of the most famous passages talking about the judgment day. 
D from Arkansas. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes. Uh, hi, Pastor. Um, in reference to believing and serving, which I believe you are to serve, how does Romans ten thirteen apply if uh, if 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 you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Yeah. How does that apply uh, to serve? And you know, since it don't go any further. Here. Romans ten thirteen. Let me just read that. You you pretty much quoted it. it. Says, "For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." All right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now I want you to notice first of all that calling upon the name of the Lord there is more than just believing, because the next verse says. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So whatever calling upon the name of the Lord is, in verse 13, something you have to do to be saved, it comes after faith. You have to believe first, then you call upon the name of the Lord. I'm going to suggest that you don't call upon the name of the Lord, in this case, verbally. Jesus said, D, in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So how would you call upon God to save you, if he has said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. How would you ask God to save you if that's what he said, D? And you asked me a question? Yeah. If Jesus says, okay. he that believeth and is baptized, Mark sixteen sixteen, how would you ask God? How would you call upon God to save you if he said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved? I would just ask him to come to my heart and save me and that I believe and, and it, that he is the son of me. If you were to ask him verbally, please save me, he would just reply back, theoretically, I've already told you, D, what to do to be saved. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So the way that you would ask God to save you is not verbally in a prayer. It's by doing what Jesus said to do to be saved. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And this is backed up by the scriptures, D. You remember Saul of Tarsus believed on the road to Damascus. And then mm-hmm. Jesus told him to go into the city and to be told him what to do. Ananias tells him in Acts twenty two sixteen, listen carefully, D, Acts twenty two sixteen. Ananias says to Saul, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So how do you call upon the name of the Lord according to Acts twenty two verse sixteen? Believe and be baptized. That's exactly right. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, 16. Saul. No, I believe in, you know, follow, just as Matthew talked about, um, um, once you believe, you make disciples, make fishermen of men, and then, you know, you follow him, and then you go out and make fishermen of men. Thank you for your call. Appreciate your call. Okay, thank you, sir. Thank you. Yeah. And so... Saul had already believed, and now Ananias is telling him to call upon the name of the Lord by being baptized. In other words, you ask God to save you by being baptized, and he'll wash away your sins. That's exactly what Jesus said to do in Mark 16, verse 16. Steve from Texas, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, actually, I was going to expand a little bit on your answer to a previous caller about uh, forgiveness of sins. uh... Oh, sorry, this is a little loud here. That's okay. Try to make it as quick as you can. We only have a 26-minute program. Okay. Go ahead, ahead, Uh, Steve. You give your heart to God, but even as a believer, you still struggle. You you confess to God every single day. I'm trying to figure out at what point does God say that's enough? At what point, uh, I mean, like, 
tell him he won't forgive. I uh, mean, he'll forgive you. He never says he he never says that's enough. You remember Jesus said that when we're to forgive people, we're to forgive them for uh, seventy right. times seven, right? Right. And 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 the point is not that you only forgive somebody four hundred ninety times. This is in right. Luke seventeen verse four. It says, "If he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him.' So God will forgive us a hundred times." If we truly repent, Steve, if you're just pretending, you're not really planning on changing your life, then God's not going to forgive you. I mean, to a person, we can fool them and make them think that we're repenting. You can't do that with right. God, but if God will never give up on you. If you truly repent, he'll forgive you. Does that answer your question, Steve? Yeah, just, just the concern part is the, the continual you sin in your life. A lot of people, Steve, even Christians that I know, struggle with that on a daily Steve, basis. You're breaking yeah, up. I'm going to let you go. Thank you for your call. In Second Peter 3, verse 9, it says, God is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God wants everybody to repent, and he'll never give up on us. As long as we're sincere in our repentance, he'll always be willing to forgive us. Paul from Canada. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. I'm kind of worried and not understanding. Um, the thief that was on the cross there beside Jesus, he asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his glory in heaven. And Jesus said he accepted him into heaven this day. Now, he wasn't uh, baptized. Yeah, today that shall be with me in paradise. And that's, let me read you a passage that'll help you see why, Paul. I'm going to read Hebrews 9, 15 through 17. I don't guess you're in a position where you can look in your Bible while I read that, are you? Oh, I'm in the bush. <laughs> okay, Hebrews 9, 15 says, And for this cause he, and it's talking about Christ here, is the mediator of the New Testament, that my beings of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For the test for a testament is a force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. That, that's just using an illustration. My parents... There's, I'm one of four boys. My parents wrote a will in the 1970s, okay, that their belongings would be divided among their four sons. But we didn't inherit that until after the death of my mother. The, 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 my parents' last will and testament did not go into effect until after the death of the testator. Now, Colossians 2 verse 14 says that Jesus nailed the Old Testament law to the cross. And so the thief on the cross was just like any other Jew. He had to live under that Old Testament law. He didn't live under the New Testament law, which is what requires us to be baptized. The law that says you've got to be baptized to be saved, like in Acts 2.38, which are quoted earlier, is part of the New Testament law, which according to Hebrews 9, 15 through 17, Paul did not go into effect until after Jesus' death. Luke 24.47 says that remission of sins should be preached repentance and remission of sins should be preached first in Jerusalem. So it looks like to me the New Testament law that requires baptism didn't go into effect until Acts chapter 2, many days after the thief died. Do you follow my point, Paul? 
Mm, so the thief, so the thief on the cross didn't have to be baptized for the same reason that Adam didn't have to be baptized, that Noah didn't have to be baptized, that Abraham didn't have to be baptized, that Moses didn't have to be baptized because the thief on the cross did not live under the covenant, the New Testament covenant that requires baptism in order to be saved. Peter from British Columbia, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi, Pat. How are you? How you doing, Peter? Is this Peter M.? <laughs> yes, it is. And uh, we have All right. a um, online Bible study tomorrow. I just I just want to follow up on uh, a few of the calls that uh, came in today. And actually, the, the last one intrigued me even more from the standpoint of um, of redemption. And and my, my question more comes from um, we, we ask for forgiveness and we repent for our sins. But sometimes some people struggle with their sins, and and are they truly forgiven because they've asked for forgiveness? And and from the standpoint of the thief on the cross, he didn't have to change his ways. He was he was guilty of of his sin, but Jesus still forgave him and led him into heaven. So my, my, yep. my, my, now, my, I will make this yeah. really quick. I'm sorry, Peter. Let me respond to that. I look when I look at the story of the thief on the cross. He did commit to changing his ways. He did repent. He says, "Lord, be." He, he rebuked the other thief for being disrespectful to Jesus, and then he says, "Jesus, remember me when thou come in thy kingdom." So he did commit to changing his ways. So I would disagree with you there. Can I comment? Well, I was just he commenting did. upon your comment. I, I know, but he didn't. He didn't have the opportunity to ever change his ways. It, it is what it is. And from okay, what, but okay, that's Peter. That's where we disagree. He did have an opportunity to change his ways, and he did. Sam from California, go with your Bible question or comment, please. How you doing, sir? How you doing, Sam? I'm okay. Thank you for taking my call, and God bless you all, and God bless you for sharing the gospel. Yeah, appreciate your call. I, I didn't hear everything clearly that you had to say because I'm in McDonald's drive-through. Can I get you a burger, please? I'm not kidding. I I'd love to I have one with cheese on there. Well, I would if I could send it to you, but by the time it gets to you, I don't think you'd be that interested in it. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I like to laugh a little bit. It says it's good for the soul. Can I make a comment based on some of the things you talk about? Yes, you can, Sam, but make well, it fairly quick. We'll have to go off the air in a few minutes. Yeah, well, are you saying that a person needs to be baptized in order to be saved? Oh, yes, I definitely I am. First Peter 3.21 says, Baptism doth also now save us. There's no way God would have said baptism saves us if we didn't have well, to be baptized. Well, then to be what saved. happens to Ephesians that says we were saved by grace by and faith, not that of works? Lest anyone okay. should boast. All right. Because I'm going to say something here. that I, an act of works. I heard what you were saying. Forgive me for interrupting. I heard okay. you saying that baptism was for the new believers under the new covenant and that people of old need not to be baptized to be saved. All right, Sam, now, let, me, not, let me tell you I'm what. Mistaken. Correct me. All right. Let I'm me wrong. mention what Ephesians but 2, 8, 9 says. baptism a form of works? Yes, yeah, so is belief. You know, Jesus called belief. A work in John six twenty nine, 
So does that mean we don't have to believe in order to be saved? Because Jesus calls it a be- well, belief, a work in John six twenty nine. Yes, I trust. I agree with you that we believe is to cling to, trust, and rely upon. Okay, Sam. Uh, let me mention to you what Ephesians two what is teaching. Okay, Ephesians two okay. eight nine is saying that our works do not save us, but it's not saying we don't have to work in order to be saved. Like when the when the Israelites were walking around the walls of Jerusalem. The walking around the walls is not what knocked the walls down, but that doesn't mean that they didn't have to walk in order for the walls to be knocked down. And so it's the same thing with same thing with baptism in Ephesians two eight nine. In Ephesians two eight nine is saying you're not saved by your works. That's not what saves you. It's the death of Christ. It's by grace. It's the blood of Christ that saves you. But it's not saying you don't have to do works in order to be saved. As a matter of fact, James two twenty four says. You see them have that by, how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. So we don't we want to put a, uh, a position on Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that contradicts James 2, 24. If you want a free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience, call or text me at 256-682-9753.